0: Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Hey, welcome to church, everyone. It's so good seeing you all. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 to 21. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for sending your one and only son to be our atoning sacrifice for our sins. Thank you for loving us that much. Lord, we believe that through your life, death, and resurrection, we are saved from the penalties of our sin. Because your love overcomes all things, including death. As the truth of your love reigns over our lives, free us from the troubles, fears, anxieties, and lies that color our daily being. Lord, as we study your word today, I ask that our hearts and minds are renewed and refreshed by your spirit dwelling in us. I know that your love will grow so powerfully through us that the world will know that there is no place for fear in you. We know that you are a God that never stopped pursuing us. Us, the lost, the sick, the searching, and even those of us who hate you. Give us boldness today to live in that love, that love that chases after us. We pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 21. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we come to know The very least, and very, very complicated. So I had a very hard time trying to discern which way I want to present this passage to us. And I was, as I was praying, it became more and more clear, asking God, God, abide in me. Abide in me. Abide in me. I figured I want to present to you how God's love manifests itself in our lives, and how as God's love manifests itself in our lives, in our personal beings, how that plays out into us living fearlessly today, tomorrow, and every single day for the rest of our lives. You see, last week, Pastor John spoke on verses 7 to 12 in this chapter. And if you didn't get a chance to watch it, I want to tell you, you need to watch it because it serves as a primer to where we're jumping off from today right? And I'm going to give you the 30-second elevator pitch, and it's not going to do it any justice, so go back and watch it. You can watch it on Facebook, you know, on any of our podcasts, right? But he basically said, and this is what John also said, this is what the Apostle John said, when we believe in Jesus, who is God, who died for people who are not worthy of being loved, that act of believing caused us to experience the love of God. That's why many of us are here today, That's why many of us are still searching for that God, right? And it's as a result of experiencing this love of God through faith, through believing that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross meant something that we, all of us, can become heirs, to be called sons and daughters of a God who is so much more worthy than we can ever imagine. And that was God pursuing us in love. And I know what you're thinking because I thought it too and I'm still thinking it sometimes, right? I'm a good person generally, right? Generally, I'm worthy of being loved at least sometimes by my spouse, right? I do good deeds. I usually have honest dealings, right? Usually, I I mean, I have accomplishments. I could put that as notches on my belt. I don't cheat, I don't lie, you know, there's nothing that you'll uncover that that'll make me feel shameful in my life, right? And I wouldn't argue generally that most of us can argue these same things. That to some degree we are probably worthy, in a sense. But that's not what I'm going to tell you at all, right? What I'm going to tell you is that despite all those things that I do good and I do well, it's overshadowed by those moments where I'm just despicable, where. If you really, really spent some time with me, more than five seconds, you would know I could be a jerk, right? Ask my wife, ask my family, ask people on staff here. They will tell you, man, that Pastor Jonathan, that was such a jerky thing he said, right? And and I mean, it's despicable because you know what? I know better. I I know better. And and I'm going to admit, I'm going to be the first person to admit it in this room, right? That I'm downright despicable sometimes. Just, just, it's out there, right? Um, my words bite. I'm callous. I don't really care about people's feelings when I talk, right? That, that's just, that's truth. I'm selfish, right? I'm selfish. And, and I could be unapologetically manipulative, right? And you're like, that, that's really bad. That's not good coming from a pastor. But all of us can, right? You, you've exchanged pleasantries with a client or, or the guy that you're dating just so that he would see you in a good light, Right? That's manipulation right there, isn't it? But th- that's, that's not what makes me bad in general, right? What, what makes me bad and what makes me unworthy is the very fact that I know better. I know that I shouldn't, but I do it anyways, right? I, I know, I know to be better, but I just don't do it. And that's what makes me unworthy. That's what makes all of us unworthy because we can all point back to a place and to a time and to a moment, even this week where we've done something just as despicable. And that is exactly who Jesus gives his life for, for those of us, for people like me who do despicable things, even though they know better. See, when we believe in Jesus and we, when we believe that he loves us, even though we don't deserve it, God will never be too far from us. His love will never be too far from us. And nothing will separate us ever if we believe that from him, right? And that's really the only reason I can get up here and share this with you today about God's love because I've experienced his love firsthand. And I wanna make sure all of us experience his love firsthand every single day of our lives. And that's not to say that my stupidity and my sinfulness is excused because of God's love, right? And it's with, you know, much humility and just repentance that God continues to love me today and continues to work in me. But the big idea that you need to walk away with, the big idea that you need to place on your heart is that when we believe in Christ, we know God's love. You see, to believe in Christ is to know God's love, to experience it, allowing it to permeate, to define our relationships with God and with each other. That's what you need to remember. You see, believing in Jesus as our Savior causes us this love to be experienced within our hearts. In fact, it manifests itself in three ways in our daily lives, in our being. First, believing in Christ causes us to know God's love in us. And here's what I mean by that, right? When we put our faith in Jesus, God comes to us to abide in us. That means to live in us. Let's read verses 13 to 15 again. We'll see it more clearly here. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And the flow of logic here is that if God is love, which we know he is, and if the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is in us, then the love of God is in us. And John didn't make this up. He's paraphrasing Jesus, who in John chapter 14 says this, right? This is what Jesus says to his disciples If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, and there's a promise for us. I will come to you, yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who believe who loves me. And he who loves me will also be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What a great promise that because God pursues us and because we believe he pursued us to death, that he manifests himself in us. There's no separation, right? We love Jesus by believing in him. And if we believe in Jesus, we will keep his commandments. But Jesus knew we couldn't do that on our own. We couldn't keep God's commandments on our own. He knew this. So he manifests himself, his love, his being in us through the Holy Spirit. We could never love God without God's love being in us. That's how it manifests itself in us. But because God's love is in us, through the Holy Spirit living in us, we know God's love is for us because otherwise why would he be in us? Go to verses 16 and 17. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. God's love is so powerful that he sent his one and only son that whoever would confess belief in him, it transcends everything that our belief that we can't even fathom sometimes would save us. That's how powerful his love is. There are no strings attached. That's the love God has for us. That means wherever you were when God disrupted your life with his love, you would still be if God didn't love you. Just think about it before you were saved before you accepted Jesus as your savior. This is why we can have confidence now and in the future in the face of judgment because there will be judgment. He says, as he is, so are we in this world. Because when God pursued us and we believed Christ died for us on the cross for our sins, past, present, and future, and when he was resurrected on the third day, we became like him, pure, holy, and set aside. For God because God's love in us and for us we are as he is in this world through faith in Christ Jesus so therefore we must know God's love between us let's look at this in verses 18 to 21 there is no fear in love but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love we love because he first loved us If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So here's the underlying truth in this passage right here. There is a narrative of fear playing in our minds that dictates how we make decisions every single day. Let me explain that, right? A narrative of fear. That, that's an imaginary construct. It's a psychological imaginary construct that says, you know what? We are propelled by possible futures and how we cope with them based on how we fear things. How we fear our future choices, right? Based on certain consequences. And so every single one of those decisions that we make, whether consciously or unconsciously, goes through this. It goes through the motion of fear. Am I going to get blamed? am I doing this right? Does this make me adequate? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Does this have less pain? Right? So all of our decisions are going through this narrative of fear. And John knew this. John knew this. And he he says it, right? There's a fear-based narrative, which is so innate within us that it enslaves us from really experiencing the love of God. And he says, love casts out all fear. There's no room for that fear in our judgment, in our decision-making. So my daughter, Kate, right, she's, she has FOMO, right? I, I think a lot of you know this. She's almost two, and she has serious FOMO. Like, she needs to do everything. She wants to be in everything. She needs to double fist everything that she eats or plays with, right? Like, it's just not enough, right? Like, you know, she, she takes my phone and her mom's phone and needs to watch from both screens. She's not even allowed to watch from both screens. She's not allowed to watch from one screen, right? She needs to do both, right? But here's how fear really manifests itself in in real life. She doesn't like to sleep. Does not like to sleep. Not not at all. She'll fight it. She'll do everything that she can, right? So at 10 p.m. one night earlier this week, and and this was after two hours, me wrangling her, her mom wrangling her to get her to sleep, right? Because now she can repeat words and sing songs by herself. She's awake and she's sitting on the toilet, right? That's what she does, right? She sits on the toilet because she yells potty. It's been two hours. I guess it's about time. And, you know, she's looking at the bathroom towels, counting them. She can't really count, but she tries, right? And she goes, Daddy, Jonah, story, tell me, right? And so, okay, story of Jonah, I could do that. I could do that. Don't know where you got the idea of Jonah. I'm going to tell you the story of Jonah, right? And so once, tell her the story of Jonah, twice, three times, 10 consecutive times, right? And every subsequent telling of the story of Jonah went from the rated G version from the children's Bible to the rated R Stephen King version that's a psychological thriller which will be in the theater soon, right? Like this is the story of Jonah, right? And here's what God convicted me of, right? Despite the fact that I was afraid of Kate being up till midnight again, right? Fighting sleep. Fear not only dictates... What Kate does, it dictates how I react, how I decide I'm going to parent. But it also dictated Jonah's story. And that became evidently more clear because my telling became more vivid and God convicted me. This is how most of us live our lives, whether or not we follow Jesus, right? When we look at the story of Jonah, God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh, the city of your enemies, the city of the people who hate you, and tell them to repent. And Jonah in his fear runs away. He goes to Joppa and takes a boat going in the other direction, doesn't he? In fear. That was a decision he made, right? And so now he's on this boat with a bunch of pirates. I'm sorry, sailors, right? Mariners, the Bible says. But in my telling, it's, it's pirates because she understands pirates. And so these pirates, these sailors, there's a storm. You figure you've been sailors for more than a day. Storms are going to happen. But in fear, they start throwing things overboard, Bad for business, number one, right? You don't start throwing things overboard. But you, then they, they, they cast lots. They prayed every single god that they know. And eventually, they're like, Jonah, why would you do this to me? So in fear, they threw Jonah overboard. Like that was going to stop the storm. It did, but that's not the point. You wouldn't know this if you're living it, right? That, that's not the point. And so they threw him overboard, right? And so it dictated how the sailors would react. Fear fear of the storm, fear of being punished by a God they don't even know. And so Jonah spends three days in the belly of a fish, right? And then he eventually gets to Nineveh because he repents. And Jonah's worst fear comes true. His worst fear was that God would relent his judgment on the city because they would repent, because they would hear the message that God was telling Jonah to give. And he was angry about it. Fear dictated his reaction to how God intended his story to be, right? So th- this is fear. And, and, you know, you can be thinking, well, I'm not two. I'm not a story in the Bible. I'm not you, Jonathan, that lives your life in fear. And, and I'm going to tell you what, right? But it, it might not just be fear like we see it here. Maybe fear manifests itself in you checking your phone four times an hour just so you can see if someone responded to your comment or your post, Right? four times an hour on average. I I know at work, it's nine times an hour. You're checking your phones just to feel validated. You got one LOL. Congratulations, right? I mean, maybe it's not that. Maybe the compulsive phone addiction is the very fact that you just want to know what's going on. You have to know what's going on. So you wake up, roll over, and you check everything that you missed last night. The world hasn't changed. Bad news is still bad news, you don't need to check it four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times. It's not going to change, right? And, and I mean, that, that's all true, right? Our addictions are manifested by our fears. I mean, it's the same type of fear that, you know, we, we, we choose, or, or let, let me say, we procrastinate from doing things, isn't it? We, we have things that we start, but never finish, or we just never get started, Right? We never get started. I know that's why a lot of us are still single. You're looking for perfection. You fear that you won't find perfection. Guess what? You're not perfect. What makes you think you're going to find it? Perfection is not going to be found until God perfects us in love. Right? I mean, that, that's why some of you are still dating and not married. You still think that person you're dating will somehow magically be transformed into perfection. It's not going to happen right? Some of us, we fear hardship. we, we Aversity aver, and pain, that, that goes against every fiber in our being. We've been through too much. We've earned too much. So you wrote up that business plan, but never came up through it. You're working the job that you told me you hated because, well, at least you know who that devil is that's sitting at the corner office, right? I mean, that's why some of us never, ever feel like we should move. We get complacent because the fear that drives that thought of complacency is so much more harder, more painful. I mean, is that why you've never exchanged meaningful words with your neighbor, with someone on your block, because you fear rejection? Maybe it's not even your neighbor, maybe it's your spouse. You haven't shared meaningful words with your spouse in months since quarantine started, because you're afraid of being rejected by your spouse by what your spouse thinks because you know what they're thinking. You know that you will come to a standstill and neither of you will relent or concede or compromise in love. So there are no more meaningful words. Maybe you fear looking stupid or having people think about you in the wrong way. So you never joined the life group. You've never asked a question about a faith that you had questions about. You come quietly go through the motions and pretend everything is okay and you never say a thing. Is that what you fear? Maybe that same fear is the reason some of us haven't really committed our lives to Jesus by placing our commitment in him and say, this is not a convenient time because there's too much at stake. I'm just too messed up and too imperfect for God to love me right now. And when we're not thinking about it, that same fear becomes the governing message guiding our actions. You see, but lives governed by fear all end the same way, loveless, without hope. You see, the truth is that God loved us first when all was hopeless. He loved us first with a perfect love that casts out fear. You and I, are already unworthy of that love. But Jesus chased after us anyway. He died for us out of love. That's hope. That takes fear and says goodbye, right? Because God covered us with his love. So let's stop allowing fear to dictate our actions toward him, toward others. So what does that really look like? What does that look like to live fearlessly, to live a life filled with love? Let me give you some examples. Most of you know the Super Bowl is next week. It's with Tom Brady and another team, right? And your team is not playing in the Super Bowl. I get it. My team didn't have a chance, right? And still because of Tom Brady. But there are Tom Brady fans out there, right? Aren't there? There There's still Tom Brady fans out there who just, they shouldn't deserve our love. But, you know, this passage says otherwise. So what do you do? You invite that Tom Brady fan over to watch the Super Bowl with you. Have some chicken wings with that person. Pray for them, right? In the spirit, right? Pray for them a lot. And you have a relationship, right? Th- th- this, is, this is easy. You could do this. You could do this. Maybe that was too hard because it still hurts you. There's still pain. Then why don't you do something for your actual physical neighbors? The neighbors that are Lions fans with the rest of us, right? You know that one that's living in the corner? Who doesn't smile because if he did, it wouldn't be that pretty. It'd be a little scary. That one. Why don't you shovel his or her yard, sidewalk? Why don't you invite that person for a meal? Are you allowing rejection get the best of you? Why don't you share your hopes, fears, dreams? Why don't you let that person share theirs? And see where the conversation takes you. Because you have a chance to love them. Because nobody else will. And if you're that person on the corner, smile. Let someone invite you. Have a conversation. Maybe it's about forgiving people. Because there's a fear of when we allow forgiveness to be in our hearts, we deny ourselves. We invalidate ourselves. There's that fear. How about you forgive the people who need God's grace? Spouses, don't look next to you. You're going to get punched in the face for that silly thing you did. I can't help you then, right? Forgive, right? There's so many unforgiving people who call themselves Christians. We know them, right? But Jesus died for all of us as messed up as we are It's time to start forgiving the people around us. And I mean really forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them and get into a life group with them, right? Maybe it's not that. Maybe what you have to do to see this love and experience this love is to have that hard conversation with your brother, your sister, your friend, your colleague, your neighbor that's ruining their lives through poor decisions. But you're actually too polite. I'm sorry. You're too fearful of having that conversation and how it's going to be received. Yeah, it's going to be received badly, but it's an opportunity to be loving, to talk into their lives about their pattern of self-destruction, to talk about their drinking or their drug use or their infidelity or porn or, or whatever addiction they're using to numb their lives because they are broken. This is your chance to be the love of God that they needed to speak love into their lives. So that God can manifest his love in their lives. You see, if other people are not experiencing God's love through you, then there's no God's love in you. Church, we know. We know that God's love is in us. We know God's love is for us. And that there is no room for fear in our lives. Jesus, though he was guilty, he died on the cross on Calvary. His love was Cast out fear when he was raised from the dead. Cast it out. Death couldn't hold it any longer. We sang the song. People testified to it. People witnessed it. And then we received his Holy Spirit to dwell in us, to empower us. And this is exactly what the Apostle John is talking about. Fear cannot be how we operate in life if we've ever experienced the love of God, if we're experiencing the love of God in our lives. And it's a time to live a life filled with love that casts out fear especially between us. So when you place your trust in Jesus as the lover of our souls, the redeemer of your lives, we will experience the love of God and so will everybody else around us. If this is the love that you want for your life and you don't know how, you need to ask Jesus, come into my life. Fill me with your love. Tell him how much you've lived in fear irrationally. Tell him how much you want to be f- filled with God's power, his love. You see, the God who loves us saves us through the blood of his son. Jesus' work on the cross made known. God's love made available to us. His love that never, ever will cease. Believe Jesus is the son of God who died for your sins. Believe that he died on the cross for you and for me, for our unworthy moments, believe that he was raised again on the third day because he covered all in love. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are love. And whoever abides in love abides in you. And God, we so desperately want to abide in you. We know that there is sin in our lives that separates from you. We've always known that those things existed and we've always hated to admit it because it always created a weird separation and we don't want that anymore. We don't want to be driven by fear. We want to believe that your son Jesus, who you sent as a sacrifice for us, redeems us, perfects us, gives us confidence when there is judgment. Lord, this unexplainable, undeserved act of love, God, we receive it in our hearts and our minds. And we believe that your love continues to perfect us, continues to be in us through your spirit, giving us fresh life, fresh perspective. Father, Lord, we we so desperately want to live fearlessly in love with you. God, let us embody that love. Let us embody it in us. Let us know that it's for us. Let us know that it's the same thing that's in between all of us. Your love, your power, your mercy, your grace. We pray all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.